Chapter Eight of David Elginbrod by George MacDonald. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit www.librivox.org. David Elginbrod by George MacDonald. Chapter Eight. A Sunday Morning. It is the property of good and sound knowledge to putrefy and dissolve into a number of subtle, idle, unwholesome, and, as I may term them, vermiculate questions, which have indeed a kind of quickness and life of spirit, but no soundness or matter or goodness of quality. Lord Bacon, Advancement of Learning the following morning the laird's family went to church as usual and hugh went with them their walk was first across fields by pleasant footpaths and then up the valley of a little noisy stream that ostensibly refused to keep scotch sabbath praising the lord after its own fashion they emerged into rather a bleak country before reaching the church which was quite new and perched on a barren eminence that it might be as conspicuous by its position as it was remarkable for its ugliness. One grand aim of the reformers of the Scottish ecclesiastical modes appears to have been to keep the worship pure and the worshippers sincere, by embodying the whole in the ugliest forms that could be associated with the name of Christianity. It might be wished, however, that some of their followers, and amongst them the clergymen of the church in question, had been content to stop there, and had left the object of worship as represented by them in the possession of some lovable attribute so as not to require a man to love that which is unlovable or worship that which is not honourable in a word to bow down before that which is not divine the cause of this degeneracy they share in common with the followers of all other great men as well as of calvin they take up what their leader urged by the necessity of the time spoke loudest never heeding what he loved most, and then work the former out to a logical perdition of everything belonging to the latter. Hugh, however, thought it was all right, for he had the same good reasons, and no other, for receiving it all that a Mohammedan or a Buddhist has for holding his opinions, namely, that he had heard those doctrines and those alone from his earliest childhood. He was therefore a good deal startled when having on his way home, strayed from the laird's party towards David's, he heard the latter say to Margaret, as he came up, "'Dinna ye believe, my bonnie doo, at there's ony make-ups or makeshifts with him? He's aye bringing things to the light, no covering them up and letting them rot, and the moth tack them. He sees us just as we are, and calls us just what we are. It would be an ill day for all of us, Maggie, my doo, given he were to close his eye to our sins.' and call us just in his sight, when we could not possibly be just in our own, or in any other body's, no to say is. The Lord preserve us, David Elginbrod. Do not ye believe in the doctrine of justification by faith, and you must made an elder of? Janet was the respondent, of course. Margaret listened in silence. Oh, ay, I believe in it, nae doot. But troth, the minister, honest man, near hand gart me disbelieve in it altogether with his grand sermon this morning about imputed righteousness and a clean robe hiding a foul skin or a crooked back. Nay, nay, 
may him at whoosh his feet of his friends wash us all together and straight to our crooked bones not till we're clean and well farred like his own bonny self well david but that's sanctification ye ken call it ony name at you or the minister like janet my woman i dar say there's neither of you far wrong after all only this is just my opinion but it in the small that that man and that man only is justified what pits himself into the lord's hands to sanctify him new in that'll no be done by putting a robe of righteousness upon him afore he gotten a clean skin aneath it as given a father could not bide to see the poor scabbit skin of his own wee bit barney ay or his prodigal son either but bud to hop it us up afore he could let it come near him ava here hugh ventured to interpose a remark but you don't think mr elginbrod that the minister intended to say that justification left a man at liberty to sin or that the robe of christ's righteousness would hide him from the work of the spirit nay but there is nothing in it of hiding from god himself i tell you what it is mr sutherland the minister's all right in himself and so's my janet here and many more and ablins there is a kin o' truth in it all that they say but this is my quarrel with all them words and arguments and similes as they call them and doctrines and all that they just hold the poor body at arm's length oot o'er from god himself and they raise a most and a store all about him and the poor baron cannot see the father himself standing with his arms streaked oot as wide as the heavens to take the worn creature and the more sinner the more welcome home to his very heart given a body would leave of that and just get folk persuaded to spake a word or two to god him lone the loss in my opinion would be uncle small and the gain very great even janet dared not reply to the solemnity of this speech for the seer-like look was upon david's face and the tears had gathered in his eyes and dimmed their blue a kind of tremulous pathetic smile flickered about his beautifully curved mouth like the glimmer of water in a valley betwixt the lofty aquiline nose and the powerful but finely modelled chin it seemed as if he dared not let the smile break out lest it should be followed instantly by a burst of tears margaret went close up to her father and took his hand as if she had been still a child while janet walked reverentially by him on the other side it must not be supposed that janet felt any uneasiness about her husband's opinions although she never hesitated to utter what she considered her common-sense notions in attempted modification of some of the more extreme of them the fact was that if he was wrong janet did not care to be right and if he was right janet was sure to be for said she and in spirit if not in letter it was quite true never mind at contradicting him my man shall have his own get that shall be but she had one especial grudge at his opinions which was that it must have been in consequence of them that he had declined with a queer smile the honourable position of elder of the kirk for which janet considered him notwithstanding his opinions immeasurably more fitted than any other man in the hall countryside you may add scotland forby the fact of his having been requested to fill the vacant place of elder is proof enough that david was not in the habit of giving open expression to his opinions he was looked upon as a douce man long-headed enough and somewhat precise in the exaction 
of the laird's rights, but open-hearted and open-handed with what was his own. Every one respected him and felt kindly towards him. Some were a little afraid of him, but few suspected him of being religious beyond the degree which is commonly supposed to be the general inheritance of Scotchmen. Possibly in virtue of their being brought up upon oatmeal porridge and the shorter catechism. Hugh walked behind the party for a short way, contemplating them in their Sunday clothes. David wore a suit of fine black cloth. He then turned to rejoin the laird's company. Mrs. Glassford was questioning her boys in an intermittent and desultory fashion about the sermon. And what was the fourth head? Can you tell me, Willie? Willie, the oldest, who had carefully impressed the fourth head upon his memory, and had been anxiously awaiting for an opportunity of bringing it out, replied at once. Fourthly, the various appellations by which those who have endued the robe of righteousness are designated in holy writ. "'Well done, Willie,' cried the laird. "'That's right, Willie,' said the mother. Then turning to the younger, whose attention was attracted by a strange bird in the hedge in front. "'And what called he them, Johnny? What put on the robe?' she asked. "'Why did Sepulchre's?' answered Johnny, indebted for his wit to his wool-gathering. This put an end to the catechizing. Mrs. Glassford glanced round at Hugh, whose defection she had seen with indignation, and who, waiting for them by the roadside, had heard the last question and reply, with an expression that seemed to attribute any defect in the answer entirely to the carelessness of the tutor, and the withdrawal of his energies from her boys to that saucy quain Meg Elgenbrod. End chapter 8